Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you an interview with someone who has much to share from their own spiritual life and work, and who has been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and teachings of Henry Nouwen and remind each listener that they are a beloved child of God. Now let me introduce my guest today. Today on this podcast, I have the pleasure of talking with Brian McLaren. Brian is the author of 11 books, many of them with the coveted status of being bestsellers. He's a speaker, former pastor, activist, and public theologian. Brian McLaren's new book has the provocative title, Do I Stay Christian? A guide for the doubters, the disappointed, and the disillusioned. This is a question that a surprising number of pastors, priests, and other religious leaders are asking in private. I think there are many other Christians who are interested in exploring these very questions as well. Brian McLaren is fearless and wonderfully honest as he explores three different answers to the question, do I stay Christian? He speaks to the no, the yes, and the how. Brian, I am so glad to welcome you again to Henry Now and Now and Then. I'm really happy to be back with you again. Thanks. You have never shied away from the tough questions Christians should face. You voice the ones we secretly ask ourselves. I I just want to say how much I appreciate that, and I certainly feel it in this book. The book opens, actually, with you recounting a story in which uh, a young man comes to you, almost like a secret in the night, you know, to say, listen, I have got my doubts. And, and tell me, I have a feeling that gets replayed over and over again in your life. I have a feeling you have become a bit of a champion of the disillusioned. Well, I suppose um, because I've tried to tell the truth uh, as I could, both when I was a pastor in my preaching and, and in my books, and I've tried to be as honest and vulnerable as, as I can, um, I think people feel they're just looking for someone who's safe, uh, who won't jump down their throat or condemn them or uh, scold them. If, if they dare to come out with their secrets and their questions. And so it, it's been one of the honors of my life. Of course, there are times it's heartbreaking and painful, but uh, as uh, well, I, I'm sure this is part of what anyone who knew Henry Nowen would have said about him is that he, he was someone you could be honest with and he, he wouldn't condemn you. That's right. I, I do see a I do see a real parallel as I've as I've been reading your book, I've thought, no, you two would be friends, no doubt about it. Absolutely none. It's interesting to me that there may be people that are listening and say, Oh well this isn't for me. I'm you know, I'm not one of the doubters or the disillusioned. But I think it's a very important discussion to be in on today because I think people need to understand if they have kind of blocked out that, they need to understand what some others might be thinking, maybe their children, maybe people that are dear friends to them. It's important to, in a sense, understand what the questions are, where the disillusionment lies. And, and so I really want to encourage people to listen and also probably to pick up the book and, and read it because I think it's so valuable. 
You know, you write, uh, I was taught my religion's historical upsides and few of its downsides. And I was taught about other religions' historical downsides and few of their upsides. You know, that sounds a lot like me, Brian. Yes, yes. Um, And I think this happens in every religion, and I think it happens in every nation. Um, we, We tend to tell a sanitized version of our past. And that helps us continue to preserve our illusions and continue to feel exceptional and superior. Um, But it also eventually reality kind of hits us in the face, you know, and uh, uh, I'll never forget my first encounter with this was many years ago when I I grew up during the Vietnam War and uh, my father and mother were wonderful, hospitable people. And they, uh, invited uh, a man to our home for a meal and he was from Laos and um, and the U.S. was bombing uh, Cambodia and Laos as well as Vietnam and uh, he was talking about the devastation that was done to his part of the world by American bombs and uh, I just remember being horrified like we would only bomb bad guys we wouldn't bomb innocent people and uh, it was maybe one of my first the first times I had to think there might be parts of the story that have been kept from me, you know, and, and the sad truth is this is the case in the Christian faith too. There, that without anybody ever intentionally having to tell a lie, it's just the way kind of sociology works. We end up hiding our own shadows and our own uh, things we're ashamed of. They end up being suppressed. Uh, at least among us. And, and of course, correspondingly, we like to emphasize the faults of other people and minimize uh, their, uh, their strengths and virtues. It's interesting because in your book, you start out with why you wouldn't remain a Christian. And there's a whole, the book is yeah. divided into three thirds. No, yes, and how. But in the no section, in honesty, that book is so raw and honest and it looks at racism, sexual abuse, the doctrines of discovery, uh, our treatment of indigenous people. And I, I see you, it's like a Trojan horse that's hiding all sorts of things. That was, that was pretty tough, but, but it needs to be there. It really needs to be there. I think so. Uh, as painful as it is, I think so. And I think there are ways that we could start, uh, there are ways that we could start being more um, honest about our our past, and and it would help us. Uh, it, it would help us to not put our children in a situation of having to grow up one, one day and say, "Why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you tell me the, the truth?" Um, and I think it also will help us because, I, as you know, I said this a, a couple of times in the book, but I sincerely worry that the worst things that the Christian faith will ever ever does could still be in our future. And, and if we don't learn from our past, I worry, you know, that, that we'll repeat it. We've seen this happening even in recent weeks where um, the, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church has, uh, in a sense, blessed Vladimir Putin to do whatever he wants to do and has, has justified it. Um, meanwhile, and, and of course, we could imagine nuclear war coming from this. And we know that if 
uh, our country decided it wanted to engage in nuclear war, we would have a lot of Christians who would be telling them this is God's will, telling our government leaders this is God's will. And so you just realize horrible things could be ahead if we don't really take our past seriously. By the way, it's one of the things I love about the Bible. Um, The Bible is so honest about uh, about the past. You know, the, the Jewish people, they tell the heroic stories about King David, but they also tell the really shabby things that David did. And they tell about Moses' great virtues, but they also talk about Moses' failures. And uh, they talk about their own history of reform and renewal. And they also talk about their own history of uh, betrayal. And so that is part, I think, of not only being a healthy individual, but of being a healthy people that we can uh, try to look in the mirror and not deceive ourselves. It's a huge undertaking that you you have done. You get the bad stuff of our Christian history, and you don't look at it with rose-colored glasses, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, I think one of the first things that we look at in the book is you don't step aside from the anti-Semitism that has come and been part of our history. And I very much valued, you know, put a finger on that. You know, I, it, this that chapter came back to me a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with a rabbi, a friend of mine, just a gifted uh, woman uh, rabbi who told me that when she was a child um, and, and her parents, you know, as, the, as every Jewish child's parents have to do, at some point in her childhood, they told her about the Holocaust and they had to teach her about anti-Semitism. And she was visiting a friend of hers who uh, was a Christian, and they had an attic. And she'd heard about how some people hid Jews in their attic. And she thought, this is my friend from school. And if, if they ever come after me, um, here's a friend whose attic I could stay in. Uh, and I, it just broke my heart to think of, you know, an eight-year-old child having to have that sort of thought in her mind. Here's, here's a Christian friend who I could trust to protect me, knowing that it might be other Christians that would be out to pursue her. And, uh, and that's, I felt in that story, we we're getting a mirror of what any religion can be, but certainly Christianity. It can be the people who are pursuing, and it can be the people who are protecting. Uh, and, and I hope that one of the effects of the book will be that anyone who decides Anyone who's going to stay a Christian will know they want to be on the protecting side, not the pursuing side. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting because one of the things that certainly is on the surface here in Canada and should be on the surface everywhere is the impact of the doctrine of discovery, the reality of what's happened for our Indigenous peoples and, and what that looks like. And it's funny because the reality being, we can say, well, that wasn't on my watch, but it was. It was on my watch. I, at the mm. age I'm at, have lived through this and not stood up against it as I should have, and that's pretty challenging. And it's interesting because we also have to address how we've benefited from it, be it uh, economically yeah. or in land that was stolen. And then we go on to look at racism. I mean, we, we can't say that was on somebody else's watch. We are where we are now with an awareness that we cannot silence what's happened. Um, I think that is a realization that millions of us literally are having to to uh, come to. It, it's, it's so tempting and so easy to say, 
I didn't perpetuate the crimes of the 19th century or the 18th century. So uh, I, I'm innocent and I have no responsibility. But that's not how it works. Uh, in, in a sense, it, it brings us back to that ancient question from the earliest chapters of the Bible where Abel uh, says, am I my brother's keeper? Or, I'm sorry, where Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And and of course, the implication in that story is I am my brother's keeper. My brother is my responsibility. My brother's well-being is is uh, is not inconsequential to me. So whatever affects my neighbor, my sister, my brother, it suddenly becomes uh, if I want to be a morally awake and responsible person, certainly if I want to claim to follow the path of Jesus, then uh, then my my neighbor's needs are, are my needs. My neighbor's shame and oppression and uh, and heritage uh, of pain are, are now things that touch my heart as well. In your book, I, I read um, this quote, the world needs religions that teach us to value and love the planet, to see its inherent value and sacredness apart from the human economy. The world needs religions that teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves, Remember that our neighbor includes refugee, the sick, the poor, the outsider, the outcast, the other, and even the enemy. The world needs religions that teach us to transform our swords into plowshares, our bullets into trumpets, and our nuclear submarines into artificial reefs. I, I want that world, and uh, I also want to know that the Christianity that I am following what's that world. And so therefore we have to have these conversations. We can't hide what we have been, uh, I would say, dodging and pretending yes. isn't there. Yeah. Yes. And, and we have um, all of these subtle realities that, that I don't think were intentionally designed this way, but they just developed this way to help uh, keep us from paying attention to these realities. Like, for example... I grew up with a view of an understanding of the Bible and something called eschatology or an understanding about the future, that God was about to destroy the world and um, we would all go to heaven and, you know, the whole thing would be wrapped up and all that God would do is take the souls out and destroy everything else. Um, and of course, we live at a time of ecological crisis and to hold that belief is extremely uh, dangerous and extremely convenient because it helps us <laughs> say we don't, we don't have to worry about saving the world. God's going to destroy it. Why don't we just return it empty? <laughs> you know, why don't we use it up and ruin it since God's going to destroy it anyway? And, and that theology ends up having profound impacts on economics and on how we treat the earth. So it is. There are all kinds of ways that our theology has unintended uh, consequences, and we've got to pay attention to those, especially when we look back and see the harm they've done in the past, and then we think about our children and grandchildren, and we think, you know, what kind of world do we want them to have? And uh, we only get to be alive, you know, for a, a, a handful of decades, and uh, and so it makes you realize, uh, let's do the good, let's do the good we can, and let's try to leave if we're Christians, let's try to leave the Christian faith uh, headed in a better direction when when we pass on than, than what we inherited. 
I agree completely. Yes, there's a big yes to that. And that takes me into a part of your book where you say yes, if you were going to stay. No would be being honest about all the all the failures, being honest about the ways yeah. in which we aligned with the wrong side, maybe not knowingly, maybe knowingly. But but the yes is also an interesting, if, if, if you choose to say, how can you, if you choose to stay a Christian, how do you come to a yes? Um, and, and I think that's something that is a really important thing which you address in your book. You're seeing great blessings in the tradition, but I love this line that you have, I must engage in a kind of truth and reconciliation process with my heritage, which I think was really yes. honest. I like that. Yes. Do you think Christianity's days are numbered, by the way? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious as I read this. I mean, you write very daringly. Do you think it's numbered or do you think we're at the beginning of something new or what's your thoughts? You know, I think I used to have clearer thoughts on that 20 years ago than I have now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, in, in one sense, I, I believe, you know, the spirit of God is always going to be at work. And I think the, the truth and wisdom and example of Jesus is always going to be uh, it's 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 infused into uh, into human history, and I think there are always going to be people who are captivated by that. But um, you know, this or that religious institution, I don't think. When, when, a lot of times, people like to quote a verse from the Gospel where Jesus said, "Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." But when Jesus said, "My church," I don't think any of us can say, well, that means the one I belong to or the denomination I'm part of. I think our particular institutions might be up for grabs, right? And, mm -hmm. and their future depends on how people like us live. Every, uh, every generation uh, leaves its fingerprints on, on whatever faith it inherit, inherits, for, for better or for worse. And, um, and one of our great problems now, and I think we're seeing it play out just in the headlines in recent days. You look at, for example, um, the Russian Orthodox Church and how the, the primate of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, gave a phenomenally blanket endorsement to uh, Vladimir Putin and all that he's doing in Ukraine. And, um, and you think... What will that do to the Russian Orthodox Church when the truth comes out? Uh, what will that do to people who are supposed to believe that this man is a man of God and is, in fact, you know, in some way guided by the Spirit uh, mm -hmm. to, to do something like this? So I, 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 think that, um, I think that we will continue to see a lot of people just say, uh, this religion is not going to get its act together in my lifetime, <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to invest in it. But I think we'll have other people really working to say, uh, this is who I am, this is where I'm called, and I'm going to do, uh, to do what I can. But as you know, that's why in the third part of the book, I, I basically raise a different question, and I say, look, whether or not you're going to continue identifying as a Christian, you still have the question how, how am I going to live? What kind of person do I want to become? And uh, how am I going to live, as Mary Oliver says, this, my one wild and precious life? And, and when we get down to that question, I think it, 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 um, it takes us to a deeper level that I hope readers will, will be willing to go to. It's interesting because in what you're saying, you know, to stay Christian, we need 
a right concept of God. We need a, yeah. a right knowing of God. And I think, I think you're pushing and pulling us into that. And sometimes you need to let go of some of the trappings that you have decorated God with, and they came from your childhood, yeah. and they made great sense. But I think that that pressing to have a right knowing of God is so important. I think to I think about Henry. And it was interesting with Henry. I kind of I've often described him as this he had this pendulum in him, which, you know, yes. basically the pendulum was Jesus. If if you talk to him yes. and if you read his books, Jesus is very central to his books. Um, yes. And uh, he could swing back and forth. He could swing back and forth. But if it found that center place in him, it al- it, the alignment in him was Jesus. And I, I yes. find that really uh, what probably draws people from so many different backgrounds to reading Henry because they find that there. And then they find something else. They find honesty there. He's so honest about yes. himself. And, yes. and I found that you came to a, a, such an interesting conclusion, too, about reality, about, I, I love this quote, I think I've got it here. It says, as I see it, you need to be loyal to God. To be loyal to reality is to be loyal to God. And you go on to say, mm. with a humble, teachable loyalty re- to reality, we can survive, even thrive inside Christian religion or out. And it's it's interesting that that plumb line we maybe need to say, God, give me a plumb line of truth. Yes. A- and uh, don't let me go, but let me go deeper and yes. let me let go of the things that are false and are are hurting the world around me. I, I love that. I love that spirit of prayer as you say that, to, to realize that uh, no human being can claim that through good intentions and hard work alone that they can they can stay on that plumb line of truth. Uh, we, we, we all have to admit that we're, we're frail and we could so easily get off track. And so we need that spirit of prayer to say, please keep me on your path. Please guide me, please teach me. And I also really resonate. Uh, in fact, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation. It was just maybe two or three weeks ago um, I attend a little Episcopal church near uh, where I live here in Florida, and the uh, scripture reading was the story of the prodigal son. And of course, I couldn't help but think of Henry's beautiful work on the prodigal son. And and um, this, and as I heard that story read uh, from the uh, it, it, during the uh, service, I just again came back to how brilliant Jesus was. I know that's people mm-hmm. don't say it that way often, but it's my honest feeling like this story is so perfectly constructed to help us see ourselves and help us see our neighbor and help us see God, all three mm-hmm. in a new life. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And I, uh, I, uh, and, and that for me is one of the things that keeps me Christian because uh, I, I feel very much like the disciples in the gospel story when Jesus said, are you going to leave too? And they said, well, where else would we go? You know, you, <laughs> nobody is offering us what you're offering us. And, and uh, that's, that's very, very much how, how I feel. And, and Henry's, uh, when he would write about, when he would take the words of Jesus so seriously, for example, in the story of the prodigal son, and let each detail of the story speak, uh, he, he was, 
I think he was just helping us all appreciate how brilliant and right <laughs> Jesus was. I love the fact he was living through the story. He could see himself as the, you know, the the one that needed to come back and wanted had failed, and all those things that that in a sense you see in that one who's bent at the knees of of uh, the father, and then the brother who is. Uh, totally ticked off at the fact that there's a yeah. party being had for this guy who ran away and took all of at least half the inheritance uh and then yeah. and then the lovely thing was being called into being the father and in some ways to me i feel like that is a call within this book we're called into being the father the forgiving father that welcomes home with absolute excitement i am so glad you're here I am so glad you're here. And I think that is an amazing part of this journey. Something you mentioned in the book that that caught me was that sometimes we reach a point in our spiritual life that matches our probably our physical life. It's kind of stages of maturity. And the yes. the old coat you were wearing, the the faith that fits you well as a child or as a teenager or even as a father with young children or whatever isn't fitting comfortably anymore. Uh, you're asking maybe different questions. Um, maybe talk just a little bit about that because that's one of the things that I really appreciated was you saw the possibility of different movements that are happening that have influenced yeah. you that you're encouraged by. But you also said maybe it also parallels our human growth, our, our human yeah. aging. Yes. Um, well, it's it, as you're saying that, I can't help but think of uh, those famous words from the Apostle Paul in that chapter that's so often read at weddings, but really is a chapter for all of life in First in Corinthians, where Paul says, after celebrating the, the power and, uh, and supremacy of love, he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became mature, I put away childish things. As if to say, um, look, there are things that are appropriate when you're at a certain stage, but when they do their work, you don't need them anymore, and you move on to something else. And it's not that they were bad, it's just that that's exactly what you needed. So when I was in elementary school, I really needed all those books that would teach me how to count and add and subtract and multiply and divide. They taught me so well, I've never had to go back to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you know, they're, they're part of me now. And, and, and then I'm ready for new challenges like algebra and, and trigonometry. And I didn't make it too much farther than that, but other people <laughs> made it to calculus and differential equations. But, but when you think in terms of our moral lives, in fact, here's the way I, I like to say it in the book, I talk about four stages of simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. But um, in the Bible, you, you start with, uh, uh, with innocent people in a garden uh, who don't have a religion, they don't have uh, a, a scripture, they don't have a temple, they don't have a priesthood, they just live in a very simple, uh, childlike uh, uh, relationship with God who they walk with in the garden. Um, and then comes the period of the patriarchs and the period of law when they're given specific commandments by their leaders that they must obey or face very serious consequences. And then 
the prophets come along and the prophets say, hey, look, you can obey all those laws, but if you're not caring for the widow and the orphan and you're not treating the poor correctly, what good is it, you know? And then uh, Jesus comes along in the, in the uh, tradition of the prophets and says, yeah, what really, really matters is that you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what everything depends upon. And, and so you, if you take those stages, we all begin innocent as children. Um, and then uh, we enter a stage where we have to learn the, the rules and the laws. Um, that's what I call simplicity. Uh, and, and those laws can become very, very complicated as you venture out into the world. And so now you're having to learn all kinds of skills to go along with it. That's what I call complexity. Um, and then you challenge, you realize that those early stages, uh, you, you can follow all those rules and laws. But if you're not good to the widow and the orphan and the refugee and the stranger, you, you have to critique that you, 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 even your laws. And, and rules don't take you everywhere you need to go. And then you reach that point that I call harmony, which is where you see, you know, love is really, love is really the, the thing that matters most. And, um, and that seems to be a pattern that a lot of us follow. Uh, and, and it's not that the early stages are bad. It's just that if they do their work, then we're ready for the next stage. Wow, that's that's well described. And, and we're solid in, in a sense, but we're also we're also able or ready if, if they've done their work to critique what we may have taken in that wasn't right, what what shouldn't yeah. be there. I think that's that's important. One of the things that I found throughout this book, and I, I recall it from other books of yours, is I see that nature speaks into your life, that you need to be yes. in a boat or, uh, you know, you need to be casting a fishing reel. <laughs> There's some part yes. of you that is, is met in that. And there was a lovely little piece within this that I want you to tell me a little bit about. And it is about you say that in the future, those of us who stay Christians will need to make peace with our wild bodies, to listen to them yeah. and to learn to love them again, to discern God's beloved wildness in them. I just thought it was so interesting. I mean, that's a, that's a part of it that I didn't expect to find there. But tell me a bit about that. What do you mean? Well, it, it's one of the things that's fascinating to me everywhere I go is that people, many, many people, whatever their religious background, are exploring things like yoga or, um, or breathing practices. And, you know, what? in many ways, the kind of religion, uh, I grew up Protestant, and, uh, and, and Catholics, I think, are way ahead of, uh, of Protestants in this, but for us, our bodies were disconnected. You know, everything was just sitting still and listening or singing or praying or whatever. Uh, at least Catholics had, had, had people kneel and make the sign of the cross and do, <laughs> take our bodies somewhat seriously. But uh, everywhere I go, I see this desire among people to reconnect with their bodies, e even more so, I think, in a world where our eyes are glued to screens. And, and we're, we're dealing with artificial reality, uh, uh, and everything is through media. In other words, there's something between us and reality. And I think one of our great challenges now is to try to get back to the actual reality of trees and wind and rain and soil and these elements that make up our bodies. And because we spend so much of our time 
in air-conditioned, uh, enclosed, artificial, man-made spaces. Um, in some ways, the only thing of the wild that we carry with us is our bodies. And, uh, and so uh, this, to me, it's almost as if we get in an echo chamber of human language and human architecture and human symbolism. And I think part of our reconnecting with God means we've got to get back to the primal reality and the primal uh, earthiness of God's creation. Does that make sense, Karen? That's that's what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah, it does. I, I think about, you know, all of creation speaks of God. And the other thing that I, I kind of grasped in what you had written was we need to resituate ourselves in the wordless language yeah. of creation, in all its wildness and wholeness. And for me, I think that's what the Indigenous people have done and are crying to yes. have back and to say they can yes. bring that and, and they can teach us how to meet God there in, in far deeper ways as they look at, at traditions that um, have enriched their lives but were silenced for a time by yes. uh, a people that didn't understand it. But, uh, you know... I, I would agree with you. I think uh, we need to, the language of creation in all its wildness and wholeness. Uh, we need to open up again to that. It, it makes sense to me. And, and in, in Catholic tradition, of course, St. Francis is such a stellar example of this. And it's sort of sad that people just try to make it cute and sentimental. I take it very, very seriously that St. Francis actually felt that bird is my brother that wolf is my sister that uh, hawk is my cousin you know the the sun and the moon i'm related to them uh, i think that is a reality that our indigenous brothers and sisters are are raised to feel that the rest of us need to re, need to rediscover uh, i i think that for theological reasons i also believe that for very practical reasons if we don't learn to reverence and rediscover our connection to the earth will continue destroying it at this uh, heartbreaking, agonizing, catastrophic pace. Uh, and, and we've got to, that, that, that has to turn around, as you know, and we don't, we don't have a lot of time. So uh, this is important on, on many, many different levels. We're living through um, a horrible time. Well, there's no kind words for it. Seeing what's happening in Ukraine, yeah. in a sense... We're seeing moral leadership where we didn't expect to see it. We we didn't expect a country that was in the, the underdog would stand up and, and demonstrate what it is to be a moral leader. I think it challenges all of us. I, I think we see something unfolding before us that is tragic and uh, and amazes us and, and calls us, calls us to a new kind of faith and a new kind of commitment. Well said. Well said. We are not living in a boring time, are we? <laughs> no, we're not. Oh, my goodness. And as you said, you know, in terms of seeing how that patriarch of the Russian church is, is letting things unfold as if they're dictated from God, that's the saddest thing. So at this time, I mean, we're called to compassion and to action and and uh, to take this on, too, as part of our broken world. Brian, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I love getting to talk with you because you you know a lot, friend, <laughs> and you challenge us to think deeply and to think freshly, and I really appreciate that. 
Well, I, I, maybe the only thing I would say in closing, Karen, is just to go back to something you said a few moments ago about, about this just being a difficult, painful time. Uh, just earlier today, I was uh, I just was eating a sandwich and I uh, for lunch and I turned on the news uh, on our television and I saw something I don't remember maybe ever seeing in my life, and that was the uh, the newscaster on CNN. She was reading, you know, reading the, this teleprompter in front of her and she started to cry and she had to stop a couple of times. And you just realize here's somebody who reads the news every day, but the stories of the suffering of children and women in Ukraine were she just couldn't read it as if it's just information. And that experience of compassion uh, you know, I, I return to what, what you were saying about in Henry Allen's book, uh, On the Prodigal Son, I remember when I read that, Karen, the thing that stirred me so deeply, the Protestant tradition I grew up in, we would never be allowed to identify with the father in the story. <laughs> we would identify with the sinful son. <laughs> but when, in, I remember when I read that book when it first came out, I remember thinking, I'm being invited to join God in God's love for these two sons, both of whom uh, God loves and, and one of whom doesn't love the other. And uh, I just remember feeling he was giving me a gift that I don't think anyone had really given me before. And, and in a sense, I think that's what was happening to that newscaster today. She wasn't just reading the news as objective information. But in a sense, she was joining God and God's compassion uh, in, in divine compassion for people who suffer. And that's I, something tells me with all the horrible things that are going on in the world to, to more and more of us are experiencing what that newscaster experienced. And if we let the spirit of God work on us through this time, this could be part of what plants the seeds for better days ahead. At least that's my prayer and my hope. I join you with that prayer and that hope. Thank you so much for being with us, Brian. I really, I really value your honesty and I value the immediacy of what we're sharing right now with a world that's breaking before our eyes. I pray we may be part of the, the answer in a good way. Amen. Amen. Brian, thank you so much. It really is a treat to talk with you. I feel the same way, Karen. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with Brian McLaren. He's given us a very important book in this new one that's titled, Do I Stay Christian? If our discussions today or the very title speaks to you, I encourage you to get Brian's book and let his wisdom, courage, and honesty challenge and inspire you. For more resources related to today's conversation, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions, even links to The Return of the Prodigal Son. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we would be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass it on to your friends and your family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.